Welcome to Living in the Glass, an exploration of Virginia wineries, breweries, and distilleries, searching for great pairings, processes, and influences on the growing industry in Virginia. Now, here's your host, Paul Helmuth. In this series of Living in the Glass, I got to spend time with Stephanie Pence from Bricks and Columns Vineyard in McGackiesville, Virginia. Bricks and Columns is nestled between the Blue Ridge and Massanutten Mountains in Rockingham County. In this episode, we talk about how Stephanie and her husband Steve got started in the wine industry and the white wines they offer. Stephanie, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yes, um, my I am from the area, both my husband and I grew up here. Um, we moved away for about 16 years. Um, we He was with college and he was in the um, he was in medical school and then residency and then an army stint. So we moved back here in um, 2000. But um, I, I grew up here about five minutes from where we are. And um, anyway, so we're glad to be back. So. Bricks and Columns Vineyard is actually a fairly new vineyard. Mm-hmm. It's only been here a few years. So what's the history behind this? Yes, um, my husband and I bought the farm about in 2003. We moved back here in 2000. Um, We have four children and we wanted our children to grow up in the area. We wanted them to experience some of farm life. So when we bought this property, we have 160 acres. And when we bought the property, we were doing hay and cattle on it. And um, we were, we thought it was good for our children to experience um, farming and what that was like. I grew up with horses, so I had a little bit of experience with some livestock. My husband grew up across from his grandparents and they would raise cattle, um, some pigs, and just kind of had a little mini farm that they did things with. Um, So anyway, when we bought the farm, we were, we just wanted the farm experience. So about seven or eight years ago, we were looking at Um, diversifying our farm a little bit and at that time we talked with Bluestone Vineyards um, and we were looking at doing a wedding venue we had many people ask us about doing weddings here because we have beautiful views we have the Massanutten is in our front Blue Ridge is in the back and we just have unobstructed views so we were looking at becoming a a wedding venue And when we were doing that, we started talking with Bluestone just about some logistics of operating a venue. And at that time, they were looking for um, more places to grow grapes. And so we we thought, well, you know, grapes and weddings go great together. If you would like to look at our property, we'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, um, partner with you. And so in Virginia, growing grapes is all about site suitability. Right. so we, um, they, Lee came over and looked at our property, Lee and Kurt, and um, said, yes, we are suitable for growing grapes. And then they ended up finding property closer to them. Um, but my husband and I are both um, fairly strong-willed and independent and thought, well, if they can grow, grow grapes, we can too. Um, so a wonderful thing about the Virginia wine industry is... Um, People are very willing to talk and they want the industry to grow throughout the state and they want you to be successful. So um, being next to Charlottesville, we're lucky because we have many of the experts in the field are based out of Charlottesville. So we had 
um, several people come over and look at our property to just confirm that we were good with growing grapes. So we had Chris Hill came over and looked, um, Matt Tufano, um, Michael Shapps came over and all said we were suitable for growing grapes. So we just dove right into it and started growing grapes. <laughs> when you first started, how many acres of grapes did you plant? We planted two. Yeah. And which varieties were those? Petit Verdot and Viognier. Okay. So we have an upper vineyard and a lower vineyard. And so our upper vineyard elevation is about 20 to 30 feet higher than our lower vineyard. So that's where we started and we planted there. How long ago was that? That was in 2015. So how long was it from the time you planted till you were able to start bottling your first wine? So, um, so with grapes, it's about a three year before you get production. So we, we now have 11 acres um, under vine. So we do not have enough grapes. We do not grow enough grapes here that, um, that we are able to do fully estate grown grapes. We actually are gonna release our first estate grown wine this year, um, actually on Friday. Okay. Um, but we work with Michael Shapps, he's our winemaker, and he helps arrange leases for us that um, we, we lease other land and use grapes off of them. And then Michael um, makes our wine for us. Are all of your grapes from Virginia? Yes, they are. You've expanded, so you've talked about the upper vineyard and the lower vineyard. What do you have in the lower vineyard? Yes, so we have well, our upper vineyard, we ex expanded to um, Chardonnay. We have two acres of Chardonnay up there. We have two of Petit Verdot and one of the Vignet. In our lower vineyard, we have Chamberson, two acres of Chamberson, one of Adal, one of Cab Franc, and then two of Petit Mensang. And how much, what was the total acreage? We have 160. 160. How much of it is the grapes? Um, we're hoping to put about 20 to 30 in grapes. Okay. Um, so we're, um, we expanded five acres this year. We'll probably expand another five next year. Um, and then probably subsequent years expand by five till we hit that 30 mark. So, um, so anyway, with that, we are hoping probably in about three years to put up a production facility. We would like to do our own winemaking here. Um, whether we're consulting with Michael or we have our own winemaker, um, we'll eventually get to that point. Um, making wine is really, it's a lot of knowledge um, needs to go into making wine. It's not that you always do a lot with your wine to alter it. Um, so kind of interesting when we list flavors or things that we feel on our wines like cherry or raspberry or apricot or peach. People say, oh, did you add that in? And it says, no, it's all the grape and how you age it. Um, and so to get these flavors, I mean, it, it's it's all it is is grapes and then you're you're working with it and monitoring it and it's a lot to it you do it wrong you're going to have vinegar um, and to lose a batch of wine to vinegar is a very costly adventure um, so when we were looking at opening up we you know we thought well we, you know we could make our own wine um, but we wanted to start with someone that was known and quality of wine that we knew would be very good. And we didn't want to have to build that quality. We wanted to start with it up front. Um, so that's what, one reason we were working with Michael. 
Um, so we're just trying to learn more of the process of it, learn how things go. We talk with him all the time. Our hands are very much in all the wine that we make. We talk with him about styles. We do blendings. Um, we critique our wines, um, you know, say we like this, we don't like this. Um, we want our wine to finish more like this. And having Michael's expertise is just amazing. Um, one of a, a, a great example was the first year we released our Petit Mansang. Petit Mansang is one of my favorite grapes. I absolutely love it. It was one I insisted that we do, that we do dry. So some people do a, an off dry, slightly sweet or a sweet Petit Mansang. I like it dry. Um, I just think it's a, a wonderful wine grape. Um, so when we were tasting it, we, you know, we said, well, you know, Michael, we like it, but we don't quite like the finish. It's, it's not giving us enough finish to it. And we'd like the finish to be a little fuller. So Michael, he says, okay, we'll add 4% Viognier. <laughs> it's like, where do you come up with 4% Viognier? But, you know, we're there tasting. So sure enough, he blends in 4% Viognier. We taste it. Um, all our family was there at that time. So we all taste it and said, yeah, you know, we think it did make a difference. And he said, let me put it in bottle. We'll let it sit for two weeks and then taste it again. So he, um, we got it. And it was a day when we had several regulars in. And so I just pulled out. I said, this is... I said, I want you to taste these two wines. You tell me which you prefer. And almost all of us preferred the 4% Viognier, um, which I would not have that knowledge to right. go off of. Um, or, you know, so working with someone that's an expert in the field um, is very beneficial. And um, matching barrels to your wine is a real art. Um, and I can't even pretend like I know anything about it because it's, it is so complicated um, to get the right cooper with, you know, the right, um, right, right grape. And um, Michael just has that knowledge of, you know, working in the wine industry for 25 years. He has a vineyard in France and so is over there visiting the coopers all the time. And just having that knowledge base um, is very important to us to produce quality wines. Well, and you talked about you have um, wines in steel, you have wines in French oak, there's new American oak, there's char levels within the barrels. Yes. That makes a huge difference, whether it's a light char, a medium char, a thick char, that all can ch taste change those tastes yes. of those wines and that makes a huge different difference. You, you talked about Michael Shapps and if anyone goes to his websites, the amount of Virginia vineyards that he has his hands in helping them along is amazing, whether he has um, allow them to do an internship with him or whether he has been their winemaker or been a part of their startup is just amazing. And you talked about the fact that, you know, in a lot of businesses, people are a little protective of their world, but here with Virginia Wines, everyone's willing to share of here, you know, do this. And that it is, that's a beauty being able to share. And I, you know, any of our neighbor wineries, we call, we talk to each other, probably at least every other week and say, hey, this is happening. You know, one day something happened in the winery and I was frustrated and I, I texted Kurt right away and I'm like, what do you do for this or that? And, you know, he, and then he responds. And it, it's, it's nice because the thought is, is we need more than just one good winery in the area. We need several because then we are a destination. And so they want you to succeed and they don't want you to make the same mistakes they did. 
Um, and so just that support is, is wonderful. It, we just feel so blessed. And, you know, across the mountain, we can go and sit and talk with, you know, any winery over there. And most are very open and welcoming. And, you know, they, they want to educate you. Um, it's interesting, the Governor's Cup competition is kind of the, the big competition in Virginia for Virginia wines. And um, after the Governor's Cup, they do tasting seminars of the top 12, the Governor's Case, the top 12 wines. And they bring the winemakers in and the winemakers all talk about how they made that wine. And it's, you know, they talk, it's not, they don't have secrets. They say, you know, we did this or we tried this or we tried that. And, you know, we think, you know, this worked or this didn't work. And they're not going to hide that from someone. They are willing to share it because they know a petite Verdot grown on my farm is going to be different than a petite Verdot grown on Bluestone's farm. And so our wines are going to be different no matter what. Um, So, so it's just, we just feel so blessed to be part of this industry and it's fun. You know, it's fun to go over and say, Oh, your wine has these qualities and our wines have these qualities and not that one's bad and one's good. It's just that they're different and what you're, you're going for. You talked about tastes and the fact that, you know, these are grapes and it may not, it may have flavors of apricot or vanilla, or it may be oaky or it may, you know, have that strawberry or jammy flavor. Um, I went over to Lake Anna and Lake Anna's vineyard actually has one wine that's a little bit different. They have a cherry wine that is 90% grape and 10% cherry juice, but it provides that little bit of different rounder flavor Mm -hmm. that you definitely, of course, pick it up because it's cherry juice, but it does make that change. And and I think, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the whether it's the soil compos- uh, composition, the water levels, the amount of sunlight, the elevation makes the difference. The variety is really beneficial because you may like pairing your wine with this item, but the exact same wine from Bluestone or another vineyard may pair with something else better. Right. So no, that variety is very, very good. It is, yeah. That's one of our favorite things when we um, got into um, wine. So, so people often say, was this a vision of yours? You know, did you drink lots of wine? And the answer is no to both of those. Um, the vineyard part just kind of fell in our lap and we ran with it. Um, we took a risk and ran with it. Um, but, you know, I, I always enjoyed a nice glass of wine. I, um, I you know, I, I drank mainly California and, um, you know, French wine. So knew a little bit about them, but just learning so much um, about wines. Coming up next, we'll talk to Stephanie about the styles of wines they have, specifically the white wines at Bricks and Columns Vineyard. We'll be back right after this short break. We'll continue our discussions with Stephanie Pence from Bricks and Columns Vineyard. We, uh, so our, our wine's just kind of a general category and I've kind of hinted at it, is made in the French style. Michael Schaps is our winemaker. Um, he trained in France, so does make in the French style. Um, so, and our wines tend to be on the dry side, though we do have a couple sweet. Um, and honestly, some of our sweets are our best sellers. Well, let's talk about the different wines. I'm gonna start with the whites. And uh, looking at your website, the first one that comes up is the Chardonnay. So our Chardonnay um, is aged in both new and neutral French oak. So um, an interesting thing is a lot of people that come here and taste our Chardonnay will comment, I don't usually like Chardonnay, but I really like your Chardonnay. 
Um, I think some of that comes from California Chardonnays are very oaky. Um, they use American oak oftentimes, and so those wines are have a very strong oak flavor to them. Where our wine, we use French oak, um, which is a milder form of, it's a milder barrel, so it's not imparting that heavy oak taste to it. And um, using both a new and neutral barrel, it gives it um, more of the fruit shines through than the oakiness. Well, and for people who aren't wine drinkers but drink bourbon, bourbon is also aged in American new oak barrels, and so it gives it that woodiness to it. Now, the interesting thing is, and I'll bring it up now, is you talked about the difference between Virginia Chardonnay and like California Chardonnay. You know, the one thing with this year's Chardonnays is they're all going to have a very smoky flavor if they get any grapes out of it. I read an article uh, last week that actually talked about the fact that the California wildfires this year is tainting the grapes that they're picking because of all that smoke. It's giving it a much different smokiness than you would expect from a barrel-aged wine just yeah. from those grapes. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next several years related to wines from California for this year. Yes, I, I agree. And I also wonder about um, wines that are aging in barrel if there's a lot of smoke around there because your, your barrels are porous, so they're going to be absorbing flavors, and that's why we age our wine in barrels. So it'll be interesting to see where, where they come out and what they taste like. And speaking of aging in barrels, I noticed in some of your wines, you age them in tobacco barns? Um, yeah, that is more of our sweet. Um, so we have a dessert style wine, and then we also have a port style wine. Okay. And they're both dried. Um, so we, our little M is, it's a white dessert style wine. Um, it's made with Petite Mensang, so hence the name Little M, Petite Mensang. It's also named after our youngest daughter. Um, we have four children. Um, our youngest daughter is Emma, and um, her siblings used to call her Little M. So therefore, we named our wine Little M after Petite Mensang and our daughter. But with the Petite Mensang grapes, we harvest them. Um, we put them to dry in a tobacco barn. So they dry to about the consistency of raisins. Okay. So if you can envision a raisin versus a grape, your sweetness is gonna be much more prevalent in that. Um, and so then they, um, and then we press them and um, make wine out of it. It also being aged in a tobacco barn, you get a little more earthy flavors from it. Um, so you, you know, we're hoping to absorb some of the flavors from the wood that are there. Have you aged any not in the barn versus in the barn and compared the two? Um, not for our dessert style. We do have a dry petite mensang, um, and that is just aged in neutral. Um, and that is, that is not aged. So the difference with the dessert style petite mensang is the grapes are dried in the t tobacco barn. The, our regular Petit Mensang is um, aged in n new and neutral French oak. And you have a 2017 Vignette? Yes. So that is aged in stainless. Um, Vignette is um, Virginia's grape. Um, it's, it's the grape of the state. And we think it pairs very nicely in stainless. It's a more fruity, more crisp, um, grape and we feel like aging and in stainless kind of leads it to that fruit coming out. Um, so we also like to have a stainless wine in our, our lineup 
we believe, so COVID is a different um, bear right now, but normally when we're doing tastings, we'd like to do a lot of education. Um, and so tasting a wine aged in stainless versus tasting a wine in a barrel is very different. And so we like having that component to say, if it's aged in stainless, this is purely the grape coming out. It's not being tainted by any oak um, right. in it. So, um, so that's another reason we do that. But yeah, we, we, we like our Viognier. You have a 2019 rosé. Yes. How do you make your rosé? So um, what Michael often does is it is often a culmination of a variety of, ber of berries, of grapes. Um, sometimes the base of ours is a Cab Franc, but in this year's um, rosé, I think we have about seven different um, grapes in it. And so what he'll do is when we're, <clears throat> like for a Viognier, if we are, um, we make a batch of Viognier, there's so much that you fit in a barrel and you might have a little leftover, a little grapes leftover. So sometimes he uses that, um, that extra juice and puts that in the rosé. Um, so how we do our rosé is um, it is crushed and then it sits on its skins just a short amount of time. So usually 12 to 24 hours. And that's what gives it that pink color versus the normal white yes. or whatever. Yeah, so we, there's definitely red grapes in there. Usually red is the base, but with his, sometimes we do have a little bit of white in it. Um, and then what you do is you bleed the juice off of the um, skins. And so you get that nice light color. Yep. And again, we do, we do, most of our wines are dry and our rosé is a dry rosé. It's very light, very clean, very crisp. Um, we usually sell out of it every year sometime in the fall and then release it back in the spring and it's very a highly anticipated wine. Everybody is waiting for a rosé release and usually release it in about um, April. You have a 2018 white bricks. Yes, um, and that is a off, <clears throat> off dry white, so slightly sweet. It's a blend of, I believe, four different grapes. Um, so residual sugar on that is 2.25, so it's just slightly sweet. We say it often appeals to um, both sweet and dry drinkers because it's not overly sweet, but um, it, does, it does have a little bit of sweetness in there. So uh, interesting thing too, I don't know if you know this, bricks, B-R-I-X, is how sugar is measured in grapes. So before we harvest, you check the bricks level, and then we also check the pH level. And our white bricks at that time was the sweetest of our whites, so we called it the white bricks. Um, and then also our name, our, um, our building is bricks, and columns, um, actually bricks and mortar, and um, columns. So our name is kind of a play on grapes and wine as bricks and columns, so. The next one is actually two wines. If I'm reading this right, one of them is a sparkling one. It's the Hallelujah. You have a sparkling white and a rosé. Now are they both sparkling or just yes. one? Both sparkling. Um, rosé is made in a similar fashion. Um, it's just um, um, added, um, some carbonation with it, so it is sparkling. It's a dry, um, sparkling wine. We call that, both of our wines, it's our Hallelujah White and our Hallelujah Rosé. Um, hallelujah being a word of celebration. Uh, <clears throat> we spell ours a little differently. It's H-A-L-L-I-E. Um, and 
um, the reason we spell it that way is our third daughter is named Hallie, and so it's named in honor of her. So um, we just thought it would be fun to have a celebration line and um, a way to also kind of um, celebrate her as well. Well, so far we have two of your children. You have yeah. Hallie now and M. Do you have any other white wines? Um, let's see, we have our dry petite mensang, which right. we spoke a little bit about. And then we also, we're getting ready to release on Friday. It's gonna be our sweet W. Um, <laughs> and my poor two older children do not have wines named after them, but the sweet W is actually named after our dog. Um, we have Harlequin Great Danes, our first one was Winston, um, and Winston passed in January, in February. Um, but and our our new dog is Wyatt, and they write wine blogs. Um, if you go on our website, um, it was wine with Winston, and now it's wine with Wyatt, and they talk about what they hear in the tasting room. And so our wine, Sweet W, is in honor of our our sweet our our dogs, Wyatt and Winston and so kind of a homage to them. So it's gonna be a sweeter white. Um, it'll be 4% residual sugar, a white blend again. Since you brought it up, let's talk about Wyatt. When you walk into the tasting room, there are actually two very large, very nice looking chairs that are reserved for the dog. Yes. <laughs> so normally, non-COVID, they are not reserved for the dog. The Wyatt likes to sit in them all the time, but um, because they are leather chairs and because of COVID, we don't want people sitting in them. So we have signs on them reserved for Wyatt. And if you do come into the tasting room, Wyatt is off often occupying at least one of them. And he goes from chair to chair. Um, so yes. He is a very, very big dog. I, I mean, he's a great Dane, correct? Yes. Um, if you ever visit the vineyard, I came here on Saturday and as I was driving up, he is walking down the lane with actually another Great Dane. Yes. And, and very friendly dog. He walked up to my window, stuck his nose in, and then just kept walking down the yep. lane. So very friendly dog. Yeah, Wyatt, um, he loves people. He especially loves children. He loves other dogs. Um, he is, he's still, he's only 16 months old. So he still has some puppy behaviors we're working on, trying to modify some of that. Um, but Winston, um, when he was here, he was, he set a very good example for Wyatt and set a high bar. Winston used to walk out to the parking lot and greet you and bring you to the tasting room and actually bring you right up to our bar. And then he would walk off and then go sit down and then he would do that to the next person. He would, Winston would also walk around and greet everybody at their table. Um, Wyatt is not quite there yet. <laughs> he, he likes children and he likes dogs and with adults, he may or may not say hello to you. It just depends on what mood he's in. Sure. <laughs> in the next episode, we'll continue to explore Bricks and Columns Vineyard with Stephanie Pence, including the red wines they offer. I want to thank Stephanie for letting me visit with her. You can find the vineyard at 1501 Daveberry Road in McGackiesville, Virginia. Their website is bricksandcolumns.com and bricks is spelled B-R-I-X. You can also follow them on social media. They're on Facebook and Instagram. If you liked the episode, make sure you subscribe so you know when the next episode drops and share it with your friends. If you have your favorite brewery, winery, or distillery, let me know. On our next episode of Living in the Glass, I continue my conversation with Stephanie Pence. So until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to Living in the Glass. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps. 
If you have ideas of places you'd like to hear more about or just want to reach out, you can email Paul at paul at livinginthe glass.com. Until next time, cheers. <music>